I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. Lucian Greaves is the spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. You know his organization because they've been very active recently regarding church-state separation issues. In Oklahoma, where there was a Ten Commandments monument near the Capitol building, Greaves' group requested putting up a statue of Baphomet, uh, leading to all sorts of chaos. They've also tried to put up a satanic display in the Florida Capitol building uh, for Christmas, you know. And my favorite, after a Florida school district allowed an outside group to do a Bible giveaway for students, uh, his group requested to distribute a satanic coloring book, which uh, may end up leading to an end to outside book distributions for good in that district. Uh, so, Lucian, thank you for being with us here tonight. Should I call you Lucian? I mean, I, that's not your real name, but uh, what do you prefer and why do you use that particular name? Where did Lucian come from? And, and hell, where did your last name come from? Actually, that was... Uh... That was pretty off the cuff. Uh, we needed to set up a Facebook page at the beginning, or thought we needed to set up a Facebook page. And uh, I didn't want that attached to my actual profile because I was under the delusion that I could remain in the background. So I needed to set up another Facebook profile that, that could be an admin for the Satanic Temple page. So I chose the name Lucian Greaves for that uh, for that admin and didn't, uh, didn't expect that I would take over the role of Lucian Greaves, but <laughs> at the beginning I had this kind of uh, idea for the Satanic Temple that we could be more like anonymous, that we could do things, and we could be pseudonymous, and there would be no central figurehead, and um, and then we could uh, maintain our anonymity and our privacy and, and try to avoid uh, ruination of social lives and careers and that type of thing, but um, very quickly... Uh, I think with the pink mask, people already started recognizing me in pictures. I started talking to press, and it just it very quickly got to the point where I couldn't remain anonymous anymore. Sure. So now there's this kind of confusion. While I don't mind that people know that I'm Doug for consistency's sake, I often uh, go by Lucian Greaves in my interviews nonetheless. So I would love to kind of start off by talking about what exactly Satanism is. I don't think most people have a really firm grasp on it, because on your website it says you don't actually believe in Satan, right? Right. I'm very open about being an atheist, and so this causes people to say, especially given the nature of the kind of uh, activities we do and and our very political nature, that it's uh, strictly a prank or a hoax. And that's not the case either. I, I really think that um, we have uh, deeply held values that are, are we put together with this kind of narrative structure of Satanism. It's a it's a metaphorical construct for us, but we don't think it's our beliefs are any less deeply held for it being a metaphorical construct, and they're just as. Uh, just as uh, given to uh, legal deference is any other religion, and I think mm-hmm. that's a very important fight to fight, that religion right. I mean, can we... be forced from supernaturalism and should be. If I didn't know you were Satanist, I would probably call you a secular humanist, just given 
your self-description on the sure. website of what a Satanist is. You know, you believe in good. You believe in, like, helping other people. It sounds awesome. And then as soon as you see the word you Satanist, people Satan. are like, oh, whoa, what happened there? Well, the, we've gotten a lot of positive comments and um, positive press from the humanists and atheists, especially in light of the Orange County decision to not distribute the uh, the religious books due to our presence right. there. But um, I think the best insight into why we're Satanists or what what Satanism is would come from kind of an analysis of what I think we got the least amount of good press about, and that was the Black Mass event at Harvard. And um, people really questioned whether this was hate speech, why we would be doing a Black Mass. One thing that was completely missed by a lot of the press was what we build this as to begin with. It was an academic event, and we're trying to demystify this idea of Satanism. And the Black Mass was never a thing that people really did. So it let was me more of a let me ask you about this because I want you to explain to our audience what exactly a black mass is. Because it's kind of like a Catholic mass. It's supposed to use a consecrated communion wafer, which is really like the big deal in all this. Um, so, what is a black mass? Well, I think that it started as Catholic hate speech against maligned groups that they would refer to as heretics or witches or whatever else, some outgroup and that they would want to purge, and they would justify this by attributing these crimes to them that never existed, uh, that they did these sinister evil rites in which they would murder babies, uh, defile a consecrated host, and these types of things. And that was not happening. It was kind of this idea based off the witch's Sabbath that then kind of merged into this Catholic narrative of the Black Mass. And the idea has become inextricable from the idea of Satanism. And something that I was explaining at the time, we were going to do this academic event with what we call the Black Mass reenactment based on the book La Baz by Hoismans, which was written in the uh, 19th century, and he was talking about attending a Black Mass, and he gave kind of this credible account where it seemed like people were performing this ritual that they were referring to as a Black Mass, and you wonder why why would somebody want to do this? And I think that gives you your kind of best insight into what what is Satanism, what does it mean to people, and people kind of gravitated to this idea of the Black Mass because they felt oppressed by the Church. They, they felt uh, oppressed by this superstition, whatever was, whatever was being weighed upon them by those doctrines. And it was kind of a personal declaration of independence for them, um, not necessarily an attack upon the Church, but it's a way of kind of undermining that cultural programming that somebody's grown up with. And you were trying you know, to reenact. Being, you were trying to reenact all right, of this well, at Harvard. I was, I was trying to give an academic presentation that would. Um, that would demystify this idea, give this historical background, and talk about what that means to people today and why some people do embrace blasphemy or blasphemous images, why they embrace Satanism, and how they can attach a permanent values onto that. And it doesn't have anything to do now with a direct assault upon any group of people or church. It's just something that's become assimilated from earlier culture Till now, 
when people probably gravitate to that thing, that type of thing the most when they're coming away from their religion and they're seeing that they can engage in these symbolic acts without consequence. And it, and it I was really su- think that's a growing experience for people, and for lack of a better word, it can be transcendent. And in that way, people can really embrace Satanism as a religious choice. And this was something that Harvard's uh, people saw as so offensive. I mean, even the president of Harvard was like, yeah, we don't want to see this on our campus, basically. Well, even she didn't seem to bother to acknowledge what the event really was. We were clear that we weren't doing a black mass. We're doing a reenactment. And of course, in our case, we don't really see a reenactment of a ritual as any different from a ritual, but we are also clear we weren't using a consecrated host or weren't doing violence under anything. It's like a Civil War reenactment, even though you're like not trying to promote the ideas that they were fighting about, per se. Yeah. We're just saying, look, this is important for historical sake, in a sense. Right, right. And, and just the act of, well, as I was saying, the engaging blasphemy, I think it's a good window into kind of the culture of, of Satanism and the kind of psychology that, that, that gravitates people to it. So it's not going to... Uh, be something that's important to all secular humanists. I'm not trying to say that this is a a kind of movement that could absorb atheism or define atheistic values. There's a lot of different atheistic religions, in fact, and not all of them are going to uh, resonate for atheists of whatever stripe they are. But it so happens that we're atheists who feel we have a religion, mm-hmm. and it's Satanism. Well, you know, we talk a lot, um, we've talked a few times on this podcast about about names and labels. They're important to people. People say they don't believe in God, but I don't identify as an atheist. They prefer humanist or bright or whatever. Do you think that you could have, you know, the the Satanic uh, Temple has gotten in the press a lot for for your works. Do you think you could have gotten the same level of success or attention if you were, say, the Atheist Temple or some other... um, Variant on that? Right. I think we've already shown that that would definitely not be the case. And I think that was never more apparent than um, when we submitted to put a holiday display in Florida last year. And uh, we were rejected, whereas the Pastafarians in the Festivus poll mm. were not rejected. And... Um, and it, it makes you wonder why. Uh, you know, the Pastafarians seem to be openly uh, making a mockery of, of religious symbols, and people feel or claim to feel the same about us. So what's different about Satanism? And I think that uh, Satanism is different in that it challenges the religious narrative. It challenges the Christian narrative. When it may even challenge the uh, other monotheistic narratives when you can embrace the the other side and show that these uh, narratives are open to interpretation. You know, It's worth and, noting that your display that you wanted to put up in Florida, uh, for those who aren't aware, it was a Bible verse, I believe. And it was kind of like one of those, uh, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, it was kind of like one of those shoebox panorama, what is the word that you make in grade school? Like, oh, uh, <laughs> One of those uh, displays that featured a Bible verse and then a uh, a depiction of that Bible verse, but it wasn't one that's like favorable to Jesus. It was like something about hellfire. I correct me if I'm wrong there. Well, yeah, it, it just had a couple of biblical passages that, uh, that refer to uh, the falling angel. And it, and 
It was made, yeah, it was, it was made uh, by some, a couple of our membership in Florida. It was just a homemade project. It doesn't look, I don't think, very intimidating. But it was, the point was, it wasn't, it didn't matter how it looked. The, the point was, this is your display, and they said no to it. Right, right. Well, this year, um, this year is different because Americans United is representing us. Yeah, you got um, some legal background. You got some legal uh, people on your side now. Right. In fact, Americans United applied on our behalf and made it very clear that there was really no reason to deny our display. And we kept the same display from last year, too, which I like because um, if having this kind of legal heft behind us now causes them to not reject the display, that's kind of a a tacit recognition of the fact that they really had no grounds to do so last year. And I wonder if that's going to hold them back. But in any case, they haven't replied to our request. And um, Americans United has already given them an ultimatum date, that, which has already passed. So, uh, so we're going to see, see some fireworks out. happening very soon. Uh, maybe by the time this podcast airs. Yeah. Right, right. Well, uh, in, but, you know, back to the original point, obviously uh, Satanism is, is uh, the whole a whole different issue to a lot of people rather than um, beyond Pastafarianism, beyond, you know, festivist polls or, or any alternative religion in general. And it's, it's something I feel it's, it's, that's very important for people to uh, come to terms with and reconcile themselves with. And it's not just a petty, uh, a petty, uh, we, we can too kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, equal rights, um, senselessly whining about this kind of thing. I I was very motivated by um, having witnessed the satanic panic of the 1980s, 1990s, kind of this talk show host moral panic. Yeah, you were just the boogeyman. Just Satanists were the boogeyman. They were out to get your kids, and you all needed to fear them. backwards in records. Yeah. That's effective. Did they put razor blades and apples on Halloween? The material is laughable, but what's less laughable and what less people seem to realize is people's lives were ruined by that. People went to prison for uh, crimes they couldn't possibly have committed. Um, Gerald Amaral in Massachusetts spent 18 years in prison Martha Coakley tried to keep him there, and for some reason, she actually ran for governor this time. I'm glad she lost, but um, a lot of people never suffered for causing this kind of panic that they did. And uh, there was Fran Keller and and her husband, Dan Keller. They were part of the daycare abuse uh, moral panic as well, where Satanism was involved, and the testimony talked about bizarre graveyard rituals and cannibalism and things they had no physical evidence for. And they were speaking in the most crass conspiracy theorist terms in the courtroom where they'd have expert witnesses talking about how these Satanists are such a ubiquitous power that you find uh, people in the police departments and in the courtrooms that are actually secret Satanists. And that is why you can't find physical evidence of the crimes. It was one of those situations where a lack of evidence became evidence of the uh, criminal conspiracy networks. It is quite literally like a witch hunt from the 1600s or something. Yeah, it feels like... It, it was It was absolutely a witch hunt. It happened right here in the United States. People's lives were ruined. And um, 
and it's, I feel like such an under-recognized piece of our history, but it helped me to realize that if you have this kind of floating out group, this kind of label that you can just throw at people, it, it, it's still harmful, you know? I mean, you might not be saying, well, it's the Jews, and, and a lot of the, uh, the ideas of a Jewish threat just migrated over to satanic threats, mm-hmm. you know? And I guess people feel better about that because it doesn't isolate a real culture or real people, yeah. but it does. We feel like we're, we're of a kind. We are the, the blasphemers, the doubters, the heretics, and we do have a place in the world, too. And it doesn't necessarily translate from one to the next that we're also antisocial, anti-human, and, and criminal. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you... Um... What is your relationship with other satanic groups? Because I know there was another group in like Oklahoma that did another black mass. I don't think they were reenacting it. They actually wanted to do one, but that was not affiliated with your organization. So, you know, I, I don't know the satanic landscape in America. Where do you fit in? Do you fit in? Um, and what are? Uh, tell me about these other satanist groups. Well, it's uh, it's. It's kind of an uncomfortable relationship sometimes. Um, as modern Satanism really came into into view when Anton LaVey started the Church of Satan in the 60s. And, um, you know, a lot of the scholars who talk about this kind of thing say that he was more like us in the early days and then kind of withdrew into crankiness and, and misanthropy later on. But... Um, he kind of had some of these uh, some of these ideas where wasn't uh, he wasn't worshiping Satan either. It was an atheistic metaphorical construct. So these other athe- so these other satanic groups they don't believe in Satan as a person either. They are also atheists who just believe in this idea of you know goodness whatever. Well, the Church of Satan still believes in in magic and in other mystical things, ritual magic. The other Satanist groups believe in the supernatural? Right, right, right. We reject supernaturalism entirely. Um, The Church of Satan does not. And also where we really depart from the Church of Satan is um, LeVay based the Satanic Bible off of a book called Might is Right. It was a social Darwinistic text. And it was based on these kind of old-school ideas of survival of the fittest that were, were wrong, not not really Darwinian ideas at all, but um, and really kind of disproven now by studies and game theory and reciprocal altruism, and we find that we work better in, in groups and we in that we do have an altruistic sense. Um, it was very motivated by Anne Rand, and we kind of hearken back to uh, earlier literary Satanism from Milton to Anatole France, where you have this kind of revolt of the angels idea where you know, Satan for us is metaphorical of the ultimate rebel against the ultimate tyranny, um, always standing for personal sovereignty and, and individual rights wherever those issues arrive. So do you ever recruit people into your group or like what actually well, what does your group look like? Is it is it organized? Do you have meetings or is it like a couple guys hanging out in a basement or what do you guys look like? Well, you know, I've been working on the national level and I started this with a couple other people. So at first we're almost 
faking it. You know, we're, we're doing this kind of thing as Satanists, and there isn't really a, a group to speak of. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, we have so many people who want to help on whatever level they possibly can. And we're in the process now of cohering our different chapter houses all across the nation. And they're coming together now, and we'll all have their own flavor, naturally. And I'm hoping that they can organically evolve and we'll be able to see what works best for them, what kind of meeting structure, what they do and don't want to do. And we're not, uh, it's kind of against our philosophy to keep a, an iron-fisted grip on them. Um, just as we don't try to micromanage people's beliefs, we just have a basic value system that we put forward. It is always interesting to me that, you know, you're trying to organize all this stuff. Every time I've seen your name in the news, you're always the spokesperson of the Satanic Temple. You're not the president. You're not the chair, you know? Uh, I always wondered, like... The king. Yeah, you're not the king. Why that title as opposed to something that conveys that you're really, you're running the show? Uh, because it seems to me like that is what <laughs> you are doing. actually doing. It's not like there's someone else who's the president of the group and you're just, you know, a PR person. That's not the case. Well, of course, it, it, there's a lot of contradictions here that I'm trying to manage. <laughs> and I, I don't want, I, I never want this to become some kind of a personality call. Right, it's I not really, about you. I'm opposed to developing any central figureheads, even okay. though that seems to be the kind of, direction it's ended up going for me and people want to know what my own uh, autobiographical experience <laughs> has been and I've avoided that kind of thing in a lot of interviews you know insofar as questions don't relate to the satanic temple at all I don't really have any interest in answering them mm-hmm. either and I don't like the idea of lofty titles that don't relate to any actual real world activity I think it's it's silly and it's kind of it's kind of outdated, I think, um, you know, to walk around with titles like Magus or Hope or whatever. Uh, at, the, at the time now, the mostly... Po- the I'm Pope of the Satanic Temple has a nice ring to it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you about but, but, something. But I am organizing. Yeah. I am doing a lot of the, the work behind the scenes, of course. But um, at the time I'm talking to you, I'm acting as a spokesperson. So. Right, <laughs> right. Okay, let me ask you a a serious question. We referred to this at the beginning of the conversation, but the first time I heard about you and your organization was when the Satanic Temple conducted a pink mass, and it was over the gravestone of Fred Phelps, the the Westboro Baptist Church guy's mother. Um, And just to be clear, like this is a ritual that involved gay guys making out over her grave, lesbians making out over her grave, you putting your own dick atop her gravestone in the hopes of, at least ritualistically, in the hopes of turning the dead person into a gay person. Um, I think one publication said it was like, Mormons baptizing the dead, only much gayer. And I mean, it's kind of hilarious and kind of disrespectful. Um, But I mean, you know, you don't believe in the supernatural. You know none of that turns her spirit gay so i mean why bother nobody knows anything (laughs) it seems like it it got you off on the wrong foot about that at the time too and when i would talk to uh press uh, national press abc nbc or whoever else yeah i actually told them that our position was we don't believe in the supernatural however it is our belief that due to their beliefs they're obligated to believe 
that she is now gay in the afterlife. <laughs> and that they, since our belief is inviolable, um, no matter what they say, we are free to believe that they believe that she's gay in the afterlife. <laughs> and that, that was also kind of a commentary on their rather successful uh, arguments in the Supreme Court, where they kept falling back on the inviolability of belief. And we were hoping that... Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're of, right or not. It's just that right, you sincerely right. hold these beliefs. <laughs> we That's all that matters. Kind of, with, with the nuanced uh, message we had there, that we could believe whatever we wanted to believe about their beliefs. And um, yes, it, it was disrespectful, and it was, it was contrived to be so. And mm-hmm. it's funny, because I also had interviews where people would say, well... I wouldn't want you to do that to my mother's grave. And I would say, well, naturally, don't don't act as Fred Phelps act. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things you, you wouldn't want somebody to do to you, but... So then again, it also sounds like, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it to my grave. Well, what do you think's going to happen if you do? Yeah. <laughs> like nothing's going to happen. <laughs> right. Well, so where well, did you, when did also, you guys. Also, I wasn't sure if they felt that I had just happened upon her grave at random. Oh. <laughs> you know. That's no, quite no, the coincidence. Wants to go to prison either. Don't hold up a 7-Eleven. Right. You know? <laughs> well, okay. So how did you go from, I guess, being nationally publicized assholes in a sense for that stunt to going to kind of heroic church state separation activists which is what i've seen from your organization in the past several months like it's not it's i mean on my website we even coined a phrase for this it's called like lucian's law which is that every time there's a church state separation battle that you know it seems like you don't know which way it's gonna go all you got to do is bring in the satanists and it's gonna go in the right direction i love it where did right. you guys well, decide to do all this church-state separation activism? Because that's kind of amazing. <laughs> Actually, that was that was what we had in mind from the very outset. And we had things in mind, like the Monument Campaign, at the time we went to go do the Pink Mass. So even though you see us doing this uh, Pink Mass first, and it's kind of this, you know, shopping event that rattles people up and... and you know, make them really question, are we a joke, a hoax, political, yeah. or an actual religion, what, what's going on? And then we move into these rather um, cerebral arguments, I think, for church-state separation that they're certainly not expecting. I still do interviews now where uh, people comment that they didn't expect me to be <laughs> very articulate. <laughs> but um, but that, that was really, really the point from the outset. Um, the, the Pink Mass was something that was really quite, we genuinely wanted to do that. Um, it was kind of revenge for the Boston Marathon bombing. I was in Boston at the time when the marathon bombing happened and was so disgusted with the Westboro Baptist reply. They said they were going to come and pick at the funerals of the dead at the marathon bombing. And it seemed to be going too far to me, actually, when they didn't show up and they posted these mocking tweets on Twitter where they were saying that they were there in spirit and, um, you know, and everybody showed up for them because the counter-protesters came. What should also be mentioned is I feel like a a target should be for any kind of action like that would be Alex Jones. He was no better than the Westboro Baptist Church. He sent some slob of a reporter of his to heckle the governor on the first press conference immediately in the aftermath of the Boston Marathon bombing, shouting out false flag theory. Right. And um, 
out of turn while the morose audience stands by. And so it was this bizarre, it was bizarre and surreal following the, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing because you had this event that happened and the event got buried with little recognition, I felt, with all these people claiming that it confirmed their, their deepest held fears. Whatever those were, the, the marathon bombing confirmed it. For Alex Jones, it was that the government is working to initiate a police state, and they they acted this thing out entirely. To others, it was because of gays, because of gay marriage, whatever else. Um, similar to Jerry Falwell saying that 9-11 could be attributed to gays and secularists. And of course, he backtracked because he's more a politician than the Westboro Baptist. But um, the Westboro Baptist kind of served as a convenient focal point for that type of stupidity. And that was just something I wanted to do to show that people could use their rights to offensive speech against those who exercised it as well. I have a question that I've been dying to ask you for weeks now. Um, for those who don't know, I, I mentioned this in your intro, uh, outside the Oklahoma Capitol building, there was this Ten Commandments monument. You guys just, uh, decided to that you wanted to put up your own satanic sort of statue, um, and they said no, and there's been some legal back and forth about this. Well, a few weeks ago, as we're taping this anyway, um, someone with their car, drove up and basically ran into the Ten Commandments monument. They destroyed it, and right now they're in the process of maybe rebuilding it, putting it back up, but that's a separate issue. When I first heard that someone destroyed the Ten Commandments monument, in the back of my head, my first thought was, oh my God, I hope that's not an atheist, because that would suck. That's not the way you go about protesting that sort of thing. And I wonder if, because you guys were the main opponents of this Ten Commandments statue, or more that you were the ones who were pushing to get your own stuff up there, did you have that thought in the back of your head that I may have convinced someone to do this? And by the way, I should point out, it was actually a Christian who was maybe off his medication who ended up doing it. Oh, no. So it wasn't any of it wasn't an atheist, it wasn't a Satanist, whatever. Did you have that thought at least for a little while in the back of your head, like I may have convinced oh, someone no, to do this? Actually, the first I heard of it, they were already saying it was a Satanist. Yeah, and they, they were. were saying that uh, that that Satan told him to do it, which is apparently where he was coming from. I, I don't right. know As a Christian, they were saying Satan right. told him to do it, just like you hear a lot of pastors saying, if you do something wrong, it was Satan. That's not necessarily a uh, someone saying Lucian Greaves made me do it. Right. Uh, so it's a Christian who is saying that. But uh, I did hear oh, people but, but suggest your people did it. It doesn't matter. I mean, he... If he was going to, if he was actually a Satanist and he was actually a registered member of the Satanic Temple, we'd never hear the end of it. He might right. as well say Lucian told me to do it. Right. And it, it's funny because uh, were you like worried? A week later, <laughs> so like a week later, a uh, a another mentally disturbed Christian, mm. self-identifying Christian, um, cut off the head of a kid in Oklahoma claimed he was uh, practicing witchcraft. That the kid was practicing witchcraft, so he beheaded him. Oof. And this was not a very huge national story. It's definitely yeah, it wasn't. something that did get some attention. But um, I, I was thinking then again, imagine if it was the other way around. You know, yeah. if, uh, if somebody says he's a Christian, he cuts off somebody's head. People That's... say, well, he's not a Christian. You know, he's, right. 
obviously his religion had nothing to do with this. This is a mentally disturbed person. Which they would never somebody, do if it was actually a Satanist or mm-hmm. something. Right, right. Somebody invokes Satanism, we will never hear the end of it. And there was cases like that, of course, in the 80s. There was a kid, Sean Sellers, who killed his parents. And he said that Satanism made him do it. And uh, he ended up on Geraldo and all these other things. He had this very ostentatious conversion to Christianity when he was in prison. And it seems clear that he was, well, it seems he was sociopathic and was trying to avoid the death penalty and thought maybe this conversion could help him. But his story about being involved in Satanism didn't even make sense. He was, he, as he talked about it, you could tell he had this kind of anti-Satanist conception of what Satanism is. And Satanism mm-hmm. could be blamed for these kinds of things because that's what Satanists do. And so when the Ten Commandments get run over, I, I knew immediately we needed to release a statement and make clear the position we had all along was that we weren't asking for the Ten Commandments to come down. Our position has been that if the Ten Commandments are there, we want our monument there. If the Ten Commandments come down, we don't want our monument there. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, wanted to be quite clear that this, this wasn't something that would help us. You know, this wasn't obviously, obviously wasn't somebody working toward our benefit. Right. You know, and then as you said, it turns out the guy was supposedly this devout Christian who uh, had some kind of mental disorder, sad case, clearly, off his medication, goes and runs over the Ten Commandments monument. So now you don't hear a whole lot of the story, but the governor said that she was dedicated to even helping raise private funds to put it back up, and they seem very dedicated to putting the Ten Commandments monument back up. So we're moving ahead with our plans nonetheless. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us, and, you know, as I said before, I'm a huge fan of the church-state separation work you guys are doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it always seems to be that if Christians are doing something, atheists always seem to be the bad guys. Mm. You know, when we come in and say, we just want to be treated equally. And it's kind of interesting to just watch, like, Satanists thrown into the mix here and saying, yeah, we're raising our hands. We want in on this, too. And then everyone's like, oh, we should just stop. We should stop trampling over the Constitution now because uh, it's working against us. So thank you for everything you're doing and uh, keep up the keep up the good work. Thank you so much. See you this weekend. All right, man. I'll see you soon. We'll both be at Skepticon this weekend uh, as we're taping this. So thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash hemant, that's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Bloomke. We hope you'll join us next time.